We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always, my co-host Nick Filato. And today was supposed to be a Dolphins preview of the Week Five game coming up, and it will be to some extent. But a lot's happened since the last time we recorded, Nick. This is the blueprint for seasons that start to spiral out of control. I've been here since doing this thing since 2016 for the Giants over at 24/7 Sports and CBS Sports, and now with Big Blue Banter and. This is how things go when the season starts to spiral. We had a lot happen in between the last time we recorded and all 22 pod. And today we're going to talk about all of those things. Um, let's start with the biggest one, Nick, and that's Evan Neal. Giants right tackle. Seventh overall pick just two draft classes ago. Was frustrated this week and made the mistake of speaking to the media, which, by the way, I don't think we're going to get too many more quotes this season from them. Uh, I think we might see a Bilicekian approach from all Giants players from this point on as, you know, brought down from Brian Dable and management. That's my guess. All right, Nick, let me read the original quote from quotes from Evan Neal, which, again, he has since apologized for both in a statement immediately released that night and then also today uh, when talking to the media. But he did say, why would a lion concern himself with the opinion of a sheep? He said, when the Giants booed, he looked at the crowd and said, keep booing, keep booing. The person that's commenting on my performance, Evan Neal said, what does he do? Flip hot dogs and hamburgers somewhere? Because that just further shows that people are fair weather fans. A lot of fans are bandwagoners. I mean, I get it. They want to see us perform well. And I respect all that. But no one wants us to perform well more than we do, Neil said. And how can you say you're really a fan when you're out here bat when we're out here battling our asses off and the game wasn't going well, but the best you can do is boo your home team. So how much of a fan are you really? Those were the quotes, Nick. What was your initial reaction to these quotes? First off, I thought it was a Wesley Steinberg tweet. Shout out to the great <laughs> Wesley Steinberg, the troll account, who still takes advantage of people who are not familiar with New York media, which cracks me up because I've heard people reference him on podcasts referring to Zach Wilson and Daniel Jones, and it's just so funny. So I thought it was something like that, but it was from Daryl Slater from NJ.com. And I was like, oh, wow. And I was like, why would Evan Neal say something like this? Like, it's a complete lapse of judgment. I do believe what he said in his apology. Look, I... I messed up. He apologized. He said, I, I should have chose different words. And I'm like, I don't know how you convey that message that is so direct towards the fan base in different words. I am fine with him saying even like boo and stuff like that. I think it's kind of off putting. But the thing that 
I took exception to was the burger flipping. Cause it's like, look at me, I'm making all this money. You're nobody. You're just a fan of my team. There are fans that have very important jobs. There are fans that are pilots. There are fans that are doctors. There are fans out there that aren't just flipping burgers and you shouldn't belittle people who flip burgers either. Like, I just think it was a real douchebag move from somebody who up until this point, I thought was a very humble, conscientious human being. I still think he is conscientious, but he is going to have to, he's going to live with this for the rest of his Giants career. And he should, because you have to be smarter in front of the media. And I understand, Dan, that you have never experienced football adversity in your entire career. You haven't, right? Dating back to IMG Academy, to Alabama, you've never been a loser. And not only is your team sucking right now for basically the first time in his entire career, other than what his freshman year of high school, I think he said, you right. suck. You really suck right now. You have not developed at all. And he's hearing everybody saying this and he's a 23 year old kid. I'm not making excuses for him. I think he has to be smarter than that. And I think he does deserve the criticism that fans are going to levy towards him now because he was an asshole to them. Yeah. My initial reaction, I had to really take it all in, Nick, because I think when I first read the comments, I was focused on other parts of it and not the part that was most important, which is the insensitivity of the comments about what he said about fans who are working. And it doesn't just have to be if you're working in the food service. It can be any blue-collar job because at this point in time, if you're working a blue-collar job and you're going to Giants games and you're paying your money to go to Giants games, you are paying an incredible amount of money. You have to pay for the parking, which is now jacked up and insane. You have to pay for the tickets, which you go through StubHub or any of these apps, and they give you crazy fees, and they crush you there too. Even if they say, oh, we don't do fees, they do fees. They bake it into the price. They crush you there. You have to drive there. You have to drive home through traffic at the end. You're, you're basically allocating a lot of resources from a money, time, and effort standpoint. You may be, you know, bringing your kids to the game as well. Then you have to buy a ton of different concessions. The concessions are crazy priced. So now you're spending another $100 on your kids to eat and enjoy their time there as well as you eat and enjoy your time there. Maybe you want to have some beverages, some beers. It's a big chunk of money to spend. So that's the part that bothers me the most. And I had to think about it more. I had to reflect on it and think and, you know, consider that. Because one thing about me. Nick, and I know you've shared this opinion. We've talked about this at times with people that we've met and hung out with in the past and uh, in some groups of, you know, some walks of life that I've been in or are currently in. There are people who I know that are acquaintances. I wouldn't call them friends, but acquaintances who have this personality trait. And I don't think Evan Neal has this. I'm going to be honest. And I'll explain why in a second. But if you have the personality trait of pompous, thinking you're better than someone based on the money you make as the number one thing, Someone once told me he could buy and sell me. I swear to God, at a poker game, someone once told me, who are you? I could buy and sell you. Think of how pompous a, that sounds. Like What a wild, <laughs> what a wild statement Comment, that is, right? Dan. I could buy and sell you. Holy yeah. shit, The dude. funniest part about it is he used that line on like five other people, and we, we've, we've since discussed it. And like I told the story, and then someone was like, wait a second. He used that line on me once. <laughs> it's just like incredible. What I'm not going to name names, obviously. Man. Holy it's insanely crap. narcissistic, but also just using the money you make to, 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 to decide how much value a person has is about as bad as it gets. And that personality trait of being pompous, of thinking you're better than people is the worst one. It's the one personality trait I can't get along with. People always say like, oh, you're like a mayor. You're always like friends with everybody. You're friendly and you can find friends in a lot of different situations and you could kind of chameleon your way into a lot of spots. And I take pride in that. I am agreeable and I like people. But the one type of person that I never get along with, it's always consistent, is the person who thinks he's better than me or she, or he or she thinks 
he or she thinks they're better than me. Or these days you have to say they. They think they're better than me. And those are the people that uh, oftentimes I don't, you know, I don't get along with. And so if he's one of those people and he came off as one of them, I can understand why people are offended, Nick. And I don't know if he is that kind of person, though, Nick. That's my only thing. In that statement, he was. And that's why he's made the wrong comments and has apologized since. But my thought on this in general is that he's been getting lashed out on on social media by psychopaths. And I mean, when I say the word psychopath, Nick, I mean psychopath. You've seen some of them in your replies. I've seen some of them in my replies. But those are just the pe- those are just the tip of the iceberg of the psychopaths. Those are just the ones that come at the analysts and the people that talk about sports. There's a different level of psychopath that comes at the actual athlete. This that level of psychopath is is calling for their their heads, to, talking about you know all sorts of different crazy things. Having said that, part of the job is dealing with those people and trying not to make too much of it and trying to shrug it off. With that also said, though, Nick, I understand more than all people, and anyone who follows me on Twitter knows this, that that's easier said than done. Sometimes it does get to you. And naturally, you make the decision to respond to these people or to let what they say affect you. And it sometimes becomes a heavy burden on you. You make it yourself. That's still on you. It's my fault when I do that. It's Evan Neal's fault when he does that. I understand that. But sometimes it's a natural thing. So I want to put that out there. There's been a lot of hate passed on him, but I get it. That's part of it. Um, Yeah, go ahead. looks like you want to say something. Yeah, I want to say one thing, and I'm not making excuses. I thought they were deplorable comments. But if we look at this from another perspective, maybe Evan Neal was trying to say that about those people that you were just talking about, the people who are calling for his life and calling for his head and not talking about just the people booing. But then those previous comments, him saying boo louder, somewhat throws some cold water on that perspective. Look, he apologized. I think it's going to live with him. Again, I think his apology was, was fine. I'm glad that he did it in front of the camera and it wasn't just whatever he uploaded into onto Instagram. I think it was a complete lack of judgment from him. It definitely paints him in a yep. different light. I view him a little bit differently now than I viewed him before. He might not be as humble as I once thought, if I'm going to be frank right now. The only way to rectify the situation is the only way he would have rectified the situation of him being drafted <laughs> yes. and not working out. And that's just working out, right? Like if this never happened, it would it's still the be the same, same thing. thing. He still needs it's to the do same Yes. Thing. He still needs to just stop sucking. Because right now, he's hearing a lot of this. Oh, brother, this guy stinks! <laughs> and he should hear a lot of that. Shout out to SpongeBob. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, and look, the way I also look at it, Nick, is Evan Neal is currently 23 years old. I think back to when I was 23 years old. My brain was not nearly as you don't your your brain develops in your mid 20s. And then once you get into your 30, you get wiser and smarter. And then obviously I haven't passed that point yet. But I assume as I get older, I'm going to learn more things and be less of and all that I'm hoping to get rid of some of the bad habits and the bad things about me and minimize those. And right now at 23 years old for Evan Neal, I think his brain is not fully developed. So he might make that error in judgment. I don't personally, and I know people might not like this. I don't personally view him any differently after this. I think he just did this out of frustration completely. And he made a big mistake with what he said, but I know how hard it can be to sometimes talk with a filter at all times and to sometimes have all your thoughts filtered in there when you're also frustrated and dealing with things. So for me, that will always be part of the part of my understanding of how people operate, especially 23 year olds. Again, I don't feel like their brain is fully developed yet, but Either way, it was incredibly insensitive and stupid and sounded pompous. And I'll say this. The one comment he did make, Nick, that I that I just been thinking about unrelated to this was he also said 
anytime you look at it, they're only focusing on the bad plays and they're only putting up the bad clips, but they're not putting up every snap from a game. And I do honestly feel like Nick, and I'm curious to get your take on this This is the only real football side of this that we're going to get to on this situation. Um, But I do feel like, and again, people might hate this comment, Nick. So I want to hear what your take is because I might have to back off it immediately. But I feel like he has slightly improved this year from the tape I've watched. I feel like he's been better in the run game than he was last year a little bit. And I think like he's still getting killed by the speed rushes around the edge. But when they're not, when they're trying other moves, I've seen him do some, have some decent reps against counters. I know you you made a face like you might not agree with that. I don't know if I agree with that. I think maybe, maybe I'm looking at it just from the perspective of I expected a jump and the play is basically the same. No, he has not made a jump. I want to make that clear. He hasn't made, no, he obviously hasn't made slightly, slightly. (laughs) <laughs> I don't I, I wouldn't say that he has slightly improved. Okay. And I'm more so just referring to pass protection because as a run blocker, he wasn't terrible in his rookie season, right? And now he's playing with McKeithen next to him. And I think him and McKeithen is just like I said, that's a real 700 pound block. 700 pound block, that's a right. coaching term. You want to form that double team. You want to form that combo. Get that 700 pound block. You hear those offensive line coaches saying that. This is a legit 700 pound block with McKeithen and Evan Neal. And I feel like they're working really well together. I like what's going on in the run game. Ed Valentine brought this up on a podcast this week. I brought it up a couple weeks ago in an article, and I just don't believe Evan Neal is the athlete that we all thought he was coming out of Alabama. Sounds crazy. I'm sure there are people out there who'll be like, you're nuts. He did the split squat jump, blah, blah, blah. He's slow-footed, man. He's slow-footed, and he's off balance. And I don't know if that can be fixed unless you perfect your technique. And we have not seen that yet. So I agree hundred percent on that statement. And that's why I don't, in my, my opinion, I just feel like he's slightly improved again. I would defer to you when it comes to all offensive line evaluation. So I'm just going to say, I would say anyone listening should listen to Nick on that. And I don't think it changes my opinion of what he might be. I think he's still leaning toward a very likely a bust because of what you just said last. I just kind of feel like I've seen some better reps than and I, it's not even that it's like, I think there is a lot of hyper focus when it comes to offensive alignment on these super bad reps, like people putting up the clip of him yes. blocking Darren Waller out, which is like, again, you brought this up earlier this week. It's like such an overblown clip in my opinion, it's stupid. but it's stupid. It's a stupid thing. But like, I guess you're right though. The problems are all still there and I don't think they're not still there. That's the issue. I saw a lot of people that I respect around giants Twitter share and that'd be like, Evan Neal has no idea what he's right. doing. It's like Evan Neal's trying to get out to block his guy. Yeah, Darren Waller is supposed to just chip that guy right. and get the hell out of the and way. Release. And then yes. Evan Neal has to worry. And now I'm sticking up for Evan Neal after bashing him a little bit before. Then Evan Neal has to worry about that individual looping to the inside with the guard right. taking the other guy. And it's just going to screw up the protection. That's not a bad indictment of Evan Neal. I mean, trust me, there are plenty of plays where you yes. can point at Evan Neal and say he sucks and it was his fault. That one is not really the best representation of him sucking. I have one more thing on this Neil Neil's uh, thing or on Neil himself, uh, someone, and now I forget, now I don't remember the Twitter name. It's been an active Twitter day for me. Uh, so I've been in a lot of interactions, but brought up a really interesting theory. I thought at least, cause and it touches a little bit on what you mentioned, which is Evan Neal never tested at the combine. So we didn't really get a good idea of his functional athleticism as it relates to how it might project to the pros. One thing this uh, follower of ours brought up that I thought was interesting was is it possible from a physics standpoint, Nick? I'm not so sure you're going to be able to answer this question. I told him I'm not qualified to answer this question, but I'd be curious to get your take. That losing all that weight and having the frame that he currently has is leading to these balance issues. Possible, just because the tape is a lot different from college right. 
till now. Right. I wouldn't say the tape necessarily. Actually, I don't. I don't know if that's true because he had balance okay. issues in college. Right. But the effectiveness. But also it's a jump from you've seen a lot of tackles who kind of bust because they just never develop yeah. once they get into the National Football League. But it's an interesting take that I haven't heard a lot of people opine on quite yet. Yeah. But those same issues that we saw when he was 360 plus pounds at Alabama persist in the NFL now that he has lost the weight. And just thinking about it logically, if you lose weight, you should get faster. It doesn't seem like Evan Neal got much faster. Faster, yeah. But I, I'm trying to, I wish I could find this. I wish I could find this quote because it's a good or this this theory i should say so it's interesting the way he describes it i don't think i did a great job of describing it because it does make a little sense to me that if you lose all that weight you could become a little bit more off balance with the way that your body it's hard to explain in my head i kind of understand what he's saying but i also okay. don't know if like any physics back this up or anything i'll follow up on this i'll bring it up on a future pod but i was curious to see if you saw that or you got that take okay one more thing on the neil front the giants this week signed justin Pugh former Giants first round pick to the practice squad. And who knows how fast this could turn around for them, considering their situation with the injuries right now. It's insane. I don't think Shane Lemieux is going to play in this game. I don't think John Michael Schmitz is going to play this game. We know Andrew Thomas is not going to play in this game. That's wild to me. I don't know what the heck the Giants are going to do at left guard right now. I guess it's Glowinski for now, probably. I shouldn't say that. It probably definitely is Glowinski. But Justin Pugh came into the Giants locker room and already had an interview with the media and I think you did a great job of highlighting, Nick, how in about three and a half minutes, as you said, that's your quote, <laughs> he showed more leadership on this offensive line. I think this part I might be out editorializing, but he showed more leadership on his offensive line than like anyone has so far. And that's not a knock on Andrew Thomas. But let's play the clip of what Justin Pugh said about Evan Neal, because I think he really nailed, hit the nail on the head. Yeah, I've been in the same boat as Evan. I've been a first-round pick. I've been out there playing right tackle, and I had my struggles early on in my career. Um there's, he definitely didn't mean to come off the fan base like that. But when you're getting barrage with the social media and how all those things go nowadays, it's tough on a guy. It's tough on a guy mentally. And Evan knows that he made a mistake. He said something he shouldn't have said. But I, I've, I've been in that boat. I've, I've wanted to say those things. But I also realized the ecosystem that we play. Like we need the fans. We need the support. And that's something I like urge the fans to do. Is just keep supporting us. We're gonna continue to work hard. I think at the end of the day, we all realize if we don't do our job, we won't be here. Like, I, I know that person. If I don't do my job and go prove it, I won't be here. And we're going to go out there and fight for the fans. And we got to continue to do it and give them something to cheer about because we realize without them, this thing doesn't go. The Giants desperately need this type of individual on this offensive line. Right now, Andrew Thomas is the leader of the offensive line. He's not on the football field. He's a more reserved individual. Yes. Mark Lewinsky is a veteran. You expect him to be the leader, the veteran savvy guy. Doesn't seem like the Giants are all that eager to put Mark Lewinsky on the football field. You may argue, rightfully so, he's not that good. He's better than Shane Lemieux, in my honest opinion. Yeah. I think I would rather have Mark Lewinsky out there than a I Shane don't even know if that's player. an opinion at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very, really? very good point. Very good point. But having that type of presence, like you heard him, he's very articulate. He's been here for three and a half minutes, and he's sitting here sticking up for Evan Neal, providing reasons as to why he may have made that lapse in judgment while also not sticking up for him and being arrogant. Right. That's a true leader right there. And that's not something I ever questioned about Justin Pugh. When the Giants drafted him out of Syracuse in the first round of the 2013 draft, it was one of those things where you're like, this is a good kid who's coming into this locker room. And once Eric Flowers was drafted and Pugh was still with the Giants, 
He tried doing a similar thing with Eric Flowers. And this is one other thing we should address, Dan. I've seen a lot of comparisons. Evan Neal is just Eric Flowers. I still don't believe that even after these arrogant comments from Evan Neal. Evan Neal at least is liked in the locker room. It did not seem like Eric Flowers had any friends in that locker room other than Bobby Hart. From a developmental standpoint, Evan Neal has more upside and, and there's still more there. There's still more meat on the bone to get excited about. Whereas Eric Flowers was terrible and had to go inside. I'm hoping Evan Neal, that's not his destination. It might be ultimately, but back to Justin Pugh. I think the Giants need that leadership. I don't know what he's going to offer coming off of an injury being what, 34 years old or however old he is. I'm not certain, but how can you hate it? How can you hate that ad at this point with the state of the Giants offensive line? Yeah, I think he already, I mean, immediately would almost be better than Lemieux and Glowinski. Not that they're going to play him this week. I don't think he's probably physically ready yet, though. Who knows from that standpoint? It's hard to tell. I don't think so, but yeah, I don't that'd think be crazy, so, no. man. That'd be crazy. Yeah, I'd be shocked. It'd be interesting. I would guess more likely next week if the injury situation remains as it is with John Michael Schmitz. I'll say this, like the Giants are in a really bad spot on the offensive line. The fact that John Michael Schmitz isn't even close to playing means he's probably not playing next week. If I had to guess, that's how these things go. They need some, like I need some form of like optimism from a practice standpoint, like a limited, at least no limited, just done. And then the same goes for um, Shane Lemieux, though, obviously like that in my mind, you could get a street free agent and he, he would play better not knowing even the system than Shane Lemieux. It's sad to say, don't want to drag the guy. He's a nice human. I'm sure he works hard, but. He's not good at his job. That's the simple fact. He's not an NFL caliber offensive lineman. And there's tape after tape after tape after tape to prove it. Gettleman thought he would be. Gettleman was wrong again. Uh, I just wanted to throw that one in there for fun. Uh, But anyway, Nick, I agree with you on the comments Justin Pugh made. I also like the comments Saquon Barkley made. He's always been a big leader for this team. And he basically said this and said a lot. But the thing I like the most about what Barkley said was, listen, Evan knows this. Evan knows this. But listen. The fans are, were here before we got here, and the fans are going to be here after we're gone. And that's the best way to kind of go about it. Like, the, not only do they pay your salaries, but they are the ones who are here forever. Calling them fair weather is not really applicable because they're the ones who are going to be doing this forever and ever and ever. And there haven't been a lot to cheer about lately. Like, I don't personally, as I said at the, on the tweet of the game, Nick, I was happy that the Giants got booed at halftime. I was happy. I stand by that statement because 100%. when you have a, two-minute drill like the one they had where they ran the ball on third down. And I know it was Jones didn't get the right call. But even before that, where they almost threw a pick six, where Jones got baited into almost throwing a pick six there, it's fucked. It's effing pathetic, okay? That's what it is. And they deserve to be booed for that. So I don't think that matters. I'm not, a, I'm not an anti-boo kind of guy. Um, and I think Barkley's kind of right about that as well. So we'll move on past that, Nick. Before we get to the preview of this game, Nick, I do want to talk about some comments that were made in an athletic article from an NFL defensive coordinator who didn't put his name behind it, but is, or I don't know if he's a defensive coordinator. Let me make sure. I think he might just be an NFL defensive coach. I think he's uh, a defensive coach. Defensive coach wasn't specified yet. What are, you know, who he was. And I'll say this just to start the people who are, who are like, Dan Orlovsky sucked in the NFL. You can't listen to his opinion. <laughs> this is one of the worst takes on the internet right now. I'm sorry to say it. You know, sometimes I just come at things that are dumb. This guy played quarterback in the NFL. He is so much more qualified than you, me, Nick. No, I mean, you, Nick, me. And I know you don't take offense to that. This idiot commenting on this on Twitter, just because you, quote unquote, think he didn't like Daniel Jones or was harsh on him, 
literally found two clips of him, one with John Schmelk on Giants.com, praising Daniel Jones last year, too. I feel like he's just not harsh on Daniel Jones. He's just literally doing what it is. Analysis. You point out good things and bad things. There's not hate and love. Take your emotions out. So I need to make that little rant first, Nick. But let me just say this about what the defensive coach said. I want to say one thing real quick before you get into the comments, just on like the state of Twitter. There are people on Twitter, Dan, that will call you a Jones hater. and They'll scold you for being a Jones hater. At the same time, there are people who will call you a Jones homer, which is so funny. And it just shows the duality of how people perceive things. Just always keep that. I get hater and lover all the time. I get hater and apologist all the time. It is such a great point by you that does show the duality. And I apologize to those who listen to podcasts who have mentioned to me, stop talking about the haters, stop giving them airtime. I am trying to, you know, this is going to be a work in progress. It's not just going to happen from day one, night one. Like this is like everything in life that I'm trying to work on. It takes time. Okay. Um, now let me get into some of these comments. The first one is from uh, a defensive coach. It says, and again, you're right. It wasn't specified coordinator. He said the giants played a simple offense last year and Daniel Jones made simple plays, but here's the issue this year. Simple is not good enough. The boot pass will never be enough to get you back into a game. It's like last year they hid the secret somehow, and maybe he showed flashes of improvement, but it looks bad now. So I want to first get your uh, reaction to that comment, and then we'll get into some of the wor- the ones that are, are definitely a little bit scarier. I don't think it's a surprise, and we've mentioned this throughout the podcast over the last year. The Giants started hot. This happens with a lot of new coaching staff. They come out, they're firing, they're on full cylinders. But then once teams started to figure them out, which we saw around the Seattle game, you could even maybe argue around the Jacksonville game, right? You started seeing defenses play the Giants a little bit better and the offense wasn't as successful. They had to go through a different iteration where they were handing the football off to Saquon Barkley 35 times, giving him 36 touches to defeat the Houston Texans after a bye week. And you're like, what the hell is going on? Now, there were a lot of wide receiver injuries. I think that definitely played into it. And then the Giants played the Indianapolis Colts and the Minnesota Vikings twice team that quit in the Colts and the Minnesota Vikings had one of the worst defensive systems that I've seen in, I don't know, <laughs> three years, four years. Ed Donatel so there was no communication on the back and they didn't know how to pass routes off. He had Darius Slayton running wide open and Daniel Jones is a good enough quarterback to exploit that. But when teams are really dialed in, can Daniel Jones take that offense to the next level on those intermediate to deep throws? No, we haven't seen that consistently. We have not. And will Daniel Jones challenge every level of the field? No, we haven't seen that consistently. Will he throw the field side seven on a smash concept? No. Do the Giants even make that the first read? No, everything is always to the boundary side. Defenses yeah. are dialed into it. And we've been talking about this now for, for months and we were hoping to see something different heading into this season. But we have not. And I think this kind of bleeds into the next comments that you're about to read. Yeah, I will. But first, I want to react to the, this first part, because okay. this is something that I brought up right away in January after that Eagles game, because I was concerned because I think even when they, quote unquote, evolved the offense last year over the Colts and Viking stretch, it was still mostly just quick game. And we were just excited about it because they were actually throwing the ball first as a throw first run second type of offense. But it was still just a lot of quick game and package and- plays. And package plays. Exactly. And then when the pack and when the package can't be opened, can you make something happen? Right. And that's that's the Jones dilemma. But in response to this, a lot of people have said, Well, of course defenses are adjusting to this. So what the hell is going on with the coaching? Why hasn't the coaches adjust? And this is the big this is the big discussion. And I think this is where a huge disconnect happens with fans 
and where we're at with this, Nick. And I don't want to speak for you. So if you disagree, and there's none, none of this is in absolutes, by the way, it's where we're leaning with this, not where we're absolutely with it. There's still obviously all these factors that are in play. It's never just one thing, but I'm not sold that it's the coach's fault right now. I'm more leaning toward, because I watch the film and I know you do, Nick, that there are opportunities on film for the ball to be thrown to areas of the field. There are route combinations that are getting areas of the field open. On every single route, it's not like they're just calling all sticks like Garrett did. Not everything is breaking back to the quarterback. Not everything is designed around line of scrimmage. Like you said, some of the play side stuff is just simple. Slant, flat, curl, flat. I agree. And there's still a lot of that because, and maybe you should be asking yourself, why is that the question if you're defending it? But, and is it because of the line or is it because of the quarterback? That's a good question to ask. But there are also concepts on the backside of plays where there is open receivers outside the hashes, typically to the field side, because defenses are not really respecting that area of the field. So if that's the case, how is it the coach's fault for the ball not going over there? That's the big question. You could say it's the O-line's fault. I'm okay listening to that. I'm okay dealing with that. But I don't like the coach criticism right now because I'm watching the tape, and I know you are too, and I'm seeing that there are opportunities, and I'm seeing that there are route combinations that are getting those areas of the field if the quarterback decides to want to throw there, which he's not deciding to want to throw there. And because he's not deciding to want to throw there, that's why these defenses are playing all these trap coverages. That's why these defenses are pressuring Jones at this kind of rate, because they know what's the worst that can happen. He throws another four yard pass. So that's my thing on that. That's my first reaction to those comments. Absolutely, man. And if you look at how this offense is constructed, it's from short to long. Yep. Why do you think that is? That's the why do you think that about. is? Is it just because the offensive line is bad? You don't think they want to check those long passes? No, it's I'm going to throw that stick. I'm going to throw that out. I'm going to throw that that flat route. I'm not going to just go deep. I'm not going to check that. I get it, man. Like Jones will throw the one-on-one -on -one to the outside. He'll throw when a post comes open because the safety bit down hard like yes. he did against Arizona. In the NFL, the windows are so small. They're ajar. They're hardly open. And you need to see those windows and then attack it beyond 10, 15 yards. Daniel Jones doesn't do that. I know people don't like to hear that, but it's just the truth at least not consistently enough. We've seen it. We've seen glimpses and glimmers throughout his career. But when you're talking about on a consistent basis, we have a large sample size of Daniel Jones right now. It's not consistent at all when those windows do come open. It's, I'm going to go to that short route. Defenses are playing it now. Hopefully he can adjust, but he's got to kick this hesitant nature, man. He's way too reluctant. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, Big Blue Banter listeners? I'm excited for the football season for several reasons. And one of those reasons is Prize Picks, which is North America's largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform. And it's so simple to use. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including professionals, sharks, and people who are going to exploit you, you pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections, and you just watch the winnings roll in. It's very simple to play and gives you a little extra skin. I've set my picks in less than 60 seconds. There are so many stats to choose from, and the withdrawals of funds are easy and quick. Dan and I will be adding a segment to our show before every game where we pick our favorite stats, more or less yards or touchdowns, what have you, and we'll be discussing why from a scheme, matchup, and game theory perspective. I love their promotions and how easy their interface is to operate at prize picks. I may select more on tackles for a loss from Bobby Okereke or Kayvon Thibodeau next game. They also do other sports as well. It's a really cool experience. Please join Dan and I in the fun of prize picks. Go to prizepicks.com banter and use code banter for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, go to prizepicks.com banter and use code banter for a first deposit match up to $100. You will not regret it. This is Dan Schneier of the Big Blue Banter Podcast. In case you didn't know, the show you're listening to right now is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Blue Wire was founded in 2018 on the concept that independent podcasts would be more successful if they worked together. And now Blue Wire currently has 300 shows with athletes, celebrities, passionate fans like myself. I found Blue Wire right around the time when I started the Big Blue Banter podcast. When I started Big Blue Banter in 2018, I had an idea for a show, a name for a show, and then I had to figure out how to monetize that show and grow that show. That's when I found Blue Wire. Kevin Jones put everything on the line for this company and then found us in this show a way to monetize the content with strategy sessions, provided us new segments, connect us with podcasters, and even gave us an opportunity to record in the Win Vegas studio. Blue Wire has now raised over $10 million privately to grow and operate the business, and they're raising another round right now on WeFunder to expand the sales team and improve the operations. WeFunder is a crowdfunding service that connects startups with investors. It gives everyone an opportunity to be a part of the growing startup. This is not a donation. You're investing to own a piece of BlueWire. If you would like to be a part of the BlueWire investment round or you want to find out more information, go to WeFunder.com slash BlueWire. And remember, supporting BlueWire is another way to support our show and this podcast. Make Little Caesars, the official pizza sponsor of the NFL, part of your game day. There are few things better in the world than kicking back, watching some football, and biting into some delicious Little Caesars pizza. Order online during our Pizza Pizza pregame, one hour before and three hours after NFL kickoffs, plus all day on Sunday, and get ready for some football 
and fun. Choose your favorite Little Caesars pizza or pick the toppings you crave. Old world pepperoni, pepperoni, extra cheese, Italian sausage, olives, onions, pineapple if you're into that. Put it on half the pie, the entire pie. There are so many other options that I don't have time to name. Slap that on a round crust, a thin crust, a stuffed crust, a Detroit-style deep dish. Either way, you win. And speaking of winning, everyone scores with convenient delivery or our in-store pizza portal pickup. So grab some friends and enjoy a few slices during the game. I enjoy sports. I enjoy comedy shows. I enjoy live events. And whenever I need tickets, I use the GameTime app because it is the best, least stressful way to acquire tickets to any live events in your area. I was in Las Vegas a couple months ago, Stanley Cup Final, Game 1. I'm not even a Vegas Golden Knights fan. Didn't matter. I got tickets at a good price and experienced my first Stanley Cup Final. Thanks to Game Time. It's the number one spot for last-minute tickets, flash deals for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, theater, comedy, whatever you can think of. And the game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and rows for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. It's the fastest growing ticket app in the country for a reason. Snag the tickets without the stress with game time. Download the game time app, create an account, and use code BANTER for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, Create an account and redeem code BANTER for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. And I think one of the issues that I have come across, Nick, is like the, the, the play you broke down on our film review play, the, the play right before halftime where Jones almost threw the pick, the interception, um, where they played the trap coverage. They jumped it with the, with the, with the one against the, and, so like in, I just feel like a lot of the times Jones is always looking for solutions pre-snap that are quick. He's looking. So like in that example, you talked about, you did a great job breaking down how the corner baited him into thinking he's going to have the out route while the other corner was like, yeah, yeah, let's do this thing. I'm going to jump that. But like in my mind, a great QB is understanding the bait pre-snap and then doing something from a motion standpoint, from a check standpoint, or not a motion standpoint, from an audible and check standpoint to high it or whoever the one is and being like, they think they got us on this. Let's run this route on the outside. And that's where I want to go. That's the solution I want to find. I don't want to find quick solutions all the time. I feel like his mind is always going to, what's the easy solution? What's the layup? What's the layup? Don't always look for the layup. You can look for other throws, especially because nowadays the layup is becoming the hardest throw in this offense because defenses are guarding for layup. It's like when it's third and one and you bring everybody into the box and you run the football. You know, we've all seen this play. We all hate it when it happens. They run right up the middle. And it's like, how did you do that? The defense was guessing it. Why would you ever do that? And it doesn't work. It's almost in a lot, a lot of ways, very similar to why are you trying to keep finding the layup throws? The defense is guessing layup throw. Stop trying to find the layup solutions. And that's kind of, you know, part of what I was thinking about when I read this quote. The one thing for what I'm going to be positive here for a second, at least Daniel Jones noticed it and it was evident. There's no way to not notice it last game. I'm sure he was told after the game and he probably noticed it against the Colts and against Washington last year and against Dallas. But there were times where he had Wandale Robinson and you could see him kind of double clutch. Now, you don't want the fact that he double clutched, but he's watching 
that second cornerback's leverage. Now he's very aware of it. And I'm hoping that he stops throwing the number two receiver into a spot where he can essentially get his head taken off and be decapitated by a corner just waiting. And that that might be the best case scenario when you do that because a pick six yeah, is more likely. Pick, right. Exactly. All right. Let's get to these other comments. These ones are are definitely even more concerning for me. I want to go by them one one by one with you. I made my comments on them, Nick. So I want to hear what your thoughts on there. So. The next comments were, it's very noticeable how little they make him play like an NFL quarterback, the defensive coach said. He has the easiest reads and the easiest concepts. He still does not throw the ball accurately. He doesn't throw to the correct leverage. He doesn't throw receivers open. He just doesn't do it. I'm giving zero opinions. This is all what the tape shows. This part I freaking love. I hate when people call this an opinion. It's not an opinion. Watch the tape. You can have the opinion that says the reason this is happening is because the O-line sucks. Because, because, because. But you can't have that. You can't say this is an opinion. This is all on the tape. Everything he just said. He's not reading leverage correctly. He's not throwing receivers open. And this one, which is the scarier, uh, one of the scariest ones, um, the coach cited examples after, uh, the coach cited example after example. Now, I wish in the athletic article, Nick, they went over those examples just so I could have went back on the all 22 and looked at them. Cause it would have just been fun to see. Cause I love hearing from coaches and learning from these people who know the game better than me. And if I can put a play to the, to what they're saying, it's even easier, but he didn't give examples. He said, but they're cited. He, the coach cited example after example of misplaced balls, even on completed passes. What did we go over last week on the tape? That's Bad a- ball placement on completed pass. Go ahead. You don't even need to even elaborate on it man we talked about it on this podcast we know what he's talking about because we watched the film and it wasn't just last week against Seattle or this week against Seattle or whatever the hell you want to call it it was the previous week too against San Francisco it was the worse Paris, against Cam- the Paris Campbell route Paris Campbell everyone's killing Paris Campbell all the time and I understand and I'm not overly excited about Paris Campbell he's like a 4.4 yards per catch it's terrible but the balls that Daniel Jones is delivering to the flat to him, they're all off target. Paris Campbell is adjusting himself to make the catch, and then he's getting hit. If you put that on the outside shoulder and allow him to accelerate up the sideline, he might be able to pick up some yards. I'm not saying play Paris Campbell, but there's a reason why Paris Campbell's production has been significantly stifled, and it's not all due to Paris Campbell. It's because Daniel Jones is not maximizing the opportunities to get the ball accurately to his playmaker to allow him to get yak. Exactly. And then you think about the Waller throw that basically decided that from 49ers game, that's from a clean pocket. So the excuse of, well, the pressure is always there. No, it wasn't on that play. And he throws it behind Waller and everyone's like, he should have caught that. Are you fucking kidding me? Kidding me. The ball has to be in front of him. That's how you catch a football, not behind you falling like this. Like, give me a break with this stuff. And that's what this coach is saying. So I want to go one by one with you real quick, Nick. I, the one I actually want to touch on first, because this is the one that I think you can explain better just based on your advanced, more advanced knowledge of the game. Because we all know we've we've gone over at length what you just went over. We've gone over at length that he doesn't always throw receivers open. And what that means is he waits the receivers open rather than throwing with anticipation into space. That one we know. That's one of it. That's his number one issue, in my opinion. He has the easiest reads and easiest concepts. That's something that we've discussed. And it makes it even worse that he's not throwing accurately because they're easy reads and concepts. But this one I thought was interesting. And I think you should, I'd rather you explain it because I think you'll do a better job. He doesn't throw to the correct leverage. I don't think a lot of fans know what that means. Can you break that one down, Nick? Throw to the correct leverage. That could mean 
throwing accurately as well. Like if the defense is in an outside shade, you want to throw to that back shoulder. Instead, he might put it a little bit inside, allow the cornerback to break on the football. But this can be applied all across the football field. But defenders, they align in a certain leverage. And they do that to influence the wide receiver into a certain direction. Like if a defender is aligned in inside leverage, he wants you to go outside. He doesn't want you right. to go inside. If a defender is aligned in outside leverage, he wants you to go to the inside. doesn't want you to go outside. He wants you to go to the inside because he has inside help. Another teammate is going to be protecting him to the inside. Or if we want to go over a play that you were just talking about when he threw, I think it was Wandale Robinson into the cover two trap, the, 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 the middle hook defender was Devon Witherspoon. He was in inside leverage on that point saying, throw that out route, please. I'm giving it to you. Right. Now, when, he, when uh, whoever this coach is is talking about throwing the leverage, that's just wherever that defender is, you want to throw away from where that defender is aligned and give your wide receiver the optimal ability to secure that catch. And Daniel Jones sometimes isn't as accurate. And I want to say one thing, Dan, and I really want to get your opinion on this. I know you watch the film yeah. too, bro. I, I think, and people are going to make excuses and say it's the offensive line, and maybe there's some merit to that. It's a lot worse this year than it was last year. I do believe that in terms of his accuracy. I don't think it was great last year. But I think this season, what we've seen through these four games, it's gotten significantly worse in terms of where he's placing the football, according to the leverage and just according to maximizing the wide receiver's ability to create yards after the catch. I would agree with that statement. And I think one thing that's important to note is we're, we're referring to ball placement, not accuracy. Those are two different things. I think they get confused a lot because people will be like, yeah, what the hell? He threw 79% completion rate against the Seahawks. I've seen people dude comments on how he threw 79% completion rate against the Seahawks. Like with like a straight face, they're telling me that as a defense, like, I'm like, Oh my God, where are we at with the analysis on this game? Like, where are we at when you're referencing completion rate? in a game where the offense didn't move the ball and the dot was three yards per attempt. That means average at <laughs> the target. Like, where are we at with this thing? Like, can we, can we, can we, can we catch up a little bit, just a little bit on what matters just a little bit. But anyway, to your point, so Nick, true. It is. It sucks. But to your point with reference to ball placement by ball placement, we mean where is the ball thrown to and does it maximize yards after the catch while also making it easy for the receiver to catch the ball in stride and then turn upfield on that upfield shoulder? It has been worse this year. It's been considerably worse this year. I personally never felt like it was as good as fans said it was. Fans always consider him such an accurate quarterback. I thought his ball placement has been pretty bad from the zero to five, from the zero to five yard range his entire career, basically. And even in this five to 10 yard range, I think his accuracy, his ball placement has been pretty bad. I think his ball placement is actually at its best when he throws over the top, the rare times he does it, or when he throws the dig route, which is in more of the 10 to 15 yard range and middle of the field. And even sometimes when he throws the outs on the 10 to 15, I feel like his his ball placement has been really good. And I feel and a good example is the play we went over even just last game, that throw uh, that I discussed. I'm trying to remember it now who, who was to. I think it was to Wandale on one of those third and fours where he really ripped it into the outside shoulder on an out, on a quick out. Yeah, that was fourth and but, five. Yeah, that was fourth and five. Um, and obviously it's garbage time, but whatever, still good. Ball placement, that, that's where my assessment's always been at with his ball placement. Again, bad in the zero to five range, middle of the field. On crossing routes, bad there, bad five to 10 middle of the field, but otherwise, okay. But this year, it seems like at least it's getting worse. Now, the question is why, right? And this goes back to all these comments made by this coach. I think it is fair to say there's a reason why he's worse this year. And you can use this as a factor to defend him. And I'm fine with it. And I'm okay with it. And I, in a lot of ways, agree with it, which is he's been rattled. He's been shell shocked. The O line's so bad. He's losing trust, that whole thing. 
And I think it's fair. And I think it could be rushing his throws. It could be the, and if you're rushing your throws, your ball placement could be off. But the other side of this is it's still a reality. It's still happening and it's still not helping them complete passes to maximize yards after the catch and ultimately win football games. So that's the question, Nick, how much of it is because of the rattled part of it. I don't know, but I would agree based on the film, his ball placement has been considerably worse this year. Though, again, I never thought it was that good to begin with. Absolutely, man. It's going to be tough for the Giants to find a way around this with the current state of their offensive line, with right. Daniel Jones seemingly being really low in terms of confidence. That's the and biggest I, problem. I think he's it, so it, lacking confidence right now. I think he's very much lacking confidence. I think he's second guessing himself a lot when he's throwing the football. That's not something that you want, especially for somebody who is naturally hesitant to throw the football deep. All those things, man, you're going up against a defense man ran by Vic Fangio. It's not the most cohesive defense right now. They could be, and we can yeah. bleed this into our, we'll, we'll talk about this too during the uh, preview part of this podcast. It could be without Jalen Phillips. It's one of their best pass rushers. They still have some dudes who can rush the passer. One being your boy, Van Ginkle, who for whatever reason just hangs around the NFL and is just he's really so annoying. Good. Hangs around the NFL. He's great. I, mean, I know, around. but uh, I mean, he's... He's pretty damn good. If you're if you yeah. watch him for, for what he is, like a situational pass rusher, he's not like a starter or anything. But no. for a situational pass rusher that you bring out, he's annoying and, and he's know. pretty good. And they got Bradley Chubb, they got Christian Wilkins, who's really good up front. They got yeah. fast, smaller type of linebackers yeah. in long. But I still think there's one player that you can really just exploit on that defense. And Bills just did with Caho, uh, I think his name is right opposite of Xavier and Howard. But who are the Giants going to isolate against? I think it'll probably be a rotation. But man, I think this could be another big Darren Waller game. And I uh, keep eating that cake and drinking that Kool-Aid. And I, and I know, we've been so wrong. We've lost know. so many prize picks picking Darren Waller. The last week was effed up because he had to chip and release and he had to block a lot more than he was supposed to because Bellinger's injury. So that like kind of screwed that whole thing up. That's 100% the reason, too. People yeah. are like, what? And at first, I didn't realize it. And then I thought about it. I was like, dude, yeah. And then I looked up the stats. They're they ran 12 personnel five times, Dan. They ran 12 personnel five times, all with Daniel Bellinger on that first drive. They didn't run 12 personnel once the entire game after being a 43% 12 personnel team in the previous three weeks. That Daniel Bellinger injury just demolished the New York Giants game plan. And what does it say about the Giants when you're putting that much, that many eggs into a basket of a second year backup tight end? It was the issue, and we talked about it already on the podcast, and I don't want to reiterate, but it was the issue of keeping Lawrence Cager over <clears throat> a better blocking type tight end. Yeah, and they obviously felt like there were some ways that Cager could help them get explosive, but I feel like a lot of what they did this year was just add those types of weapons. Maybe a blocking tight end would have been the smarter move. Um, obviously, hindsight is twenty twenty now, but I, I know you mentioned that before, so it's not just hindsight from you, at least. Um, now, uh, before we get into our preview of the Giants versus the Dolphins, I want to go over a few comments that I had editorially about what I've seen on tape from Jones. Um, so what I've seen is, and these I all think are a big factor in all these, I want to make this clear, is because the offensive line has been so bad. So I am in a lot of ways excusing Daniel Jones for these. But regardless of the why, we're still seeing these things happen. And because these things are happening, I remain alarmed. Because some of these things, and I'm about to go over with you, Nick, while they can be blamed on the offensive line, they may be sticking with the quarterback even once the offensive line comes back. That's the scary part. Do they become habits for the quarterback once the offensive line play gets better? So I'm going to start with a major regression in pocket presence and pocket manipulation this year from Jones. He took a big step in that last year. I thought that was the biggest step he took overall as a quarterback last year. And this year, I don't know what's going on, but it's been a complete uh, regression from that standpoint. This year also, Nick, 
He's been way too quick to bail po- from pockets. I count at least three per game that he should be not be bailing from, that he should be staying in there, resetting, shuffling, finding a new landing spot, and throwing from there. And then the third thing is eyes on the pass rushers. I'm seeing Daniel Jones have his eyes on the pass rush after he snaps the football. That one, I think, is the most uh, because the offensive line is just so bad and he's just not confident in those guys up front. But any thoughts on any of those three? I think you're spot on with all three of those. I just hope they can be rectified. You're right, man. The bailing the pocket, it's something that we saw on the play with Wandale Robinson wide open downfield. It's just like, why are you bailing? And I tried to give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe it's because you have three routes going in that direction, but I don't even think Wandale's route was going there. I think that was right. Wandale being smart because he's a very smart individual and adjusting his route to a spot in the field that was soft because there were two routes sucking up underneath defenders. That part, and also the trust in the offensive, <clears throat> excuse me, the trust in the offensive line. I think he is in a position right now where rightfully so he's kind of running for his life. Yes. But he has to distinguish when you have a clean pocket and when you don't much easier said than done much easier said than much. That's what professional, that's what professional quarterbacks are supposed to do. When people blame the coaching for a lot of this too, it's, do you understand how hamstrung the coaching is by these injuries? And I, and I understand a lot of, a lot of coaching staffs have to deal with injuries, but right now, the Giants are keeping like six, seven guys in for protect. They can't even keep and five. They're not guys even in blocking with that sometimes. Yeah, they can't. They can't run five when they've run five man protections. And Daniel Jones doesn't check to see who could be a most dangerous guy coming who is not in the protection count. These teams are just running cornerbacks and apex defenders and nickels right, right off the edge. Nobody's accounting for them. That's been put on film. Seattle yeah. put that on film. I guarantee Vic Fangio in Miami. They're going to see that. So when the Giants are in five-man protection, Daniel Jones really needs to identify or somebody needs to identify these, no. these other defenders. It's it's a really bad spot for the coaching staff, really bad spot for the offense in general. It is. And I think a lot of it is also, you know, we didn't, maybe didn't credit the coaching staff enough for what happened last year. Um, we did a good job of crediting them, but maybe not everybody did. Uh, he did win opinion- coach of the year. He did win coach of the year. You're right. <laughs> but that's also for like turning the team around. I just mean from the offensive side of the ball for like finding a scheme that works for a quarterback like Daniel Jones, who's not good at throwing with anticipation or processing post snap where space is going to be. And if look, this is a this is a good way to put it. Mike Kafka comes from the Kansas City tree. Pat Mahomes. Josh Allen. With Brian Dable. Obviously, Daniel Jones is not those two players, despite what some people on Twitter may say. <laughs> But this is obviously not the offense these two coordinators want to run. Dan. Right. Obviously not the offense these two coordinators. They're making do with the best ingredients that they have. They're trying to cook a great meal for a bunch of people, but some of their shit is expired, and it's not that great. And that's the reality of the Giants offense right now. And now they need to find a way to refresh those ingredients and hopefully come out with something else to make defenses respect them again. It's going to be difficult with their current quarterback right now. It's going to be difficult with that offensive line. It's not all on one person, but they have their hands full and they're both very good offensive minds. They have long track records. Well, Dable has a long track record of being a good offensive mind. Kafka's a little bit more of a neophyte, but man, he proved a lot last year. He did. As for right now, man, this is, um, who I don't know, man, because you have a murderer's row in front of you. And that's that's the big issue, man. Murderer's row. My hope, Nick, is that some of the ingredients are not expired, but just not ripe yet. Evan Neal, okay. you know, players like that, right? Good Even job, man. Hold on. To an extent. Hold on a second. <laughs> <laughs> 
Because <laughs> if they're expired, we're in trouble because you don't just get a million draft picks a year. And free agency is not really great. Free agency is not how you build a roster. It's how you lose a roster. Um, but, you know, we'll see what happens. Let's get to a little bit of a preview of this game. I was surprised to see, Nick, the spread's actually once again moving in the Giants' direction. Though last week, actually, it did flip finally at the end. Toward it did, the- yeah. Um, but the spread is moving in the Giants' direction. It started, at, or at least at one point, I saw it at 11 and a half. It's now down to 10 and a half points, the spread. Um, we we'll get to our prediction at the end. We did not do a good job predicting last week. We both had the Seahawks winning, but we had Seahawks winning a one score game each. I believe the Seahawks obviously won by three scores against the giants. Now there are 10 and a half point underdogs in this game against Miami. Let's get into some of the things we're looking for in this preview for, you know, any way the giants can get this offense going any way the giants can slow down to a tag of and that to a tongue of and never pronounce that name wrong. That's right. That's going to be awesome. Pronounce it as I read it. Uh, tongue of I think it might even be. No, no. Tutu Fayu. I don't know. <laughs> Tuli Tua Polo to just start okay. saying names. No, but, yeah, but yeah, yeah if we're, we're gonna just dive into this. I, look, I watched the offense of the Miami Dolphins from the last two weeks. I gotta say, it's one of the I, I kind of wish at times that we had an offense like that. It's not sliding Brian Dable, it's not sliding Matt Ka- or Mike, Mike Kafka. Dude, they are so creative with how they run the football. They are so advanced with how they used pre-snap motion and how they manipulate space on the football field from condensed formations with outside releases to open up the voids in the zone in the middle of the field where Tua is most comfortable to throw the football to the dig and the horizontal breaking route. And every defense has to play off that. Most of the time they see zone, they get a little bit of man, but it's really risky running man coverage against Tyree Kill. And that's something, you know, Wink Martindale likes to run. I think that's a very interesting chess match. Uh, in this game is what Wink Martindale is going to do. We'll get into that in just a little bit. But holy crap, dude, their offense, they have two of the fastest receivers in the league and two of the fastest running backs in the league. They use 21 personnel with both of those running backs out on the field, and then they'll flip it and use 21 personnel with your boy Alec Ingold. How are you going to handle that? You're going to handle those packages different. And how are the Giants going to handle it? It's going to be base against Alec Ingold, but when Moster and Achan are out there, who are you going to put? You're going to go 3-3-5? You're going to do nickel? Because they can run the football all down your throat. I'm, I I fear for Bobby Okereke, Mike and Mike McFadden. I do, and that's not knocking them. They're they're so, they've been solid. Bobby Okereke is underwhelming. Mike McFadden's been a pleasant surprise this season, but he does not have the athletic ability to pace with either of those running backs. So is Isaiah Simmons going to see the field? Can he process everything? It's whew. Giants defense, man. They they took a step forward against Seattle, and I was encouraged by that. But they have their hands full against this team, man. This team is something. And they do because a lot of what scares me, and I had I didn't watch last week's tape, the Bills versus the Dolphins, but I watched the offense of the Dolphins two week or one one week before that uh, to study Devin Achan for the Beyond the Box score at CBS Sports podcast that I did, and the thing from that game that really stood out the most to me that scares me the most was the interesting and unique ways that Mike McDaniel uses pin pull concepts in the run game and what destroyed the Giants last year. It was oh, teams man. that used pin pull. Remember that Jaguars game plan with Doug Peterson. And by the way, I studied Travis Javis ETN this week, Nick, and they basically ran inside zone the entire game, which is just phenomenally stupid. If you have Travis ETN as your running back, um, I think he's just continued to run power gap. But, you know, those are the concepts that killed the Giants last year. And Mike McDaniel is doing an even better job running them. That's the first worry for me, us getting crushed by pin pull run, uh, power gap run plays. But the second worry for me, Nick, and this is the main worry, really, Nick, is 
look, we hear how like, oh, the Dolphins offensive line, a lot of injuries, not that good, not that many good players. This is probably the best example, Nick, of when people say the best offensive line is a quarterback who's decisive and gets rid of the football with a quick release because that's yes. what Tua is. Tua's release is insanely quick. Tua's ability to get rid of the football is insanely quick. And it negates the impact of the injuries they've had on the offensive line and the lack of talent, quite frankly, on paper they have on their offensive line. So those are my two biggest concerns going into this game on the on the defensive side of the ball. The pin pull again, the pin pull power gap concepts in the run game, and then to his ability to just negate the offensive line with anticipatory throwing, with getting rid of the football quick. Look how quick that release is, man! Like the motion, his throwing motion, everything about it. The ball just gets out of his hands. This is the second play of the game against the Bills, and look, they're just in pistol. They use. The, the mesh point they go into, hey, I'm going to hand the football off play action. Look what it does to the linebackers. They all bite up. That motion expands the deep third defender at the top of the screen. He goes more towards the sidelines. And then you have Durham Smythe, who's just like, hey, I'm open. Throw the football. And he's just wide open there. Matt Milano ends up covering this perfectly in the second half. I think I have that play somewhere, but I'm probably not going to run it right now. But I have some of these other plays where, where, uh, where you were talking about, because this team runs a lot of zone. But when they do run power gap, which yeah. they're going against the Giants, it's creative. It's insane. I don't want to say luckily they don't have Teron Armstead. I'm not wishing injury on this guy. Doesn't look like he's going to play. Connor Williams, also known as Dalvin Tomlinson, Tomlinson's just like play toy. When when he was uh -huh. on the Tomlinson would always wreck. God, I loved watching the tape of that. Both of those guys aren't going to be there. But they ran crack toss when Teron Armstead did come back and he played. Teron Armstead is a load out in space, bro. Just yeah. running at the cornerback. And if you remember back to week three of last year, the Giants got killed by crack toss. Kellen Moore just ran it down the Giants' throat. So that's one thing that I'm I'm not looking forward to. And even if the blocking isn't perfect, the speed of Moster and Achan, it's and the burst and the explosiveness. Once they get into space, I don't know who's tracking them down if the safeties and the corners. And the second level defenders don't take the correct angle. Yeah. And it's so easy to mess up that angle when you're going up against that type of speed. So that's that's something that really concerns me. Once those guys get up to the second level on the edge specifically, which the Giants aren't great at defending, you've got to be dialed in to take that right path in pursuit towards that running back. Because if you're not, they're gone. And both of those guys have game-breaking speed. You're right about that, Nick. And that's going to be an issue on the defensive side of the ball. I want to flip to the offense side of the ball now for a few minutes. One more thing for the yep. defensive side of the ball. Jalen Waddle could have a big game here because I think the Giants are going to look to do the same thing that they did against Tyler Lockett in the oh. second half with Isaiah Simmons, but that's probably only going to happen. And it's, I'm going to be interested to see on if Tyree Kill, you mean? Yes. In the middle of the field, but that was more so man coverage zone match. I'm imagine they're going to run some zone match, I, I guess, but it was man covered with a, with a cover one. It's, it's just difficult to do that against this team with this speed. But I think Jalen Waddle is going to get one-on-one matchups. If Wink Martindale opts to eliminate Tyreek Hill, then that should open up space for Waddle. But the thing about Mike McDaniel is, holy crap, he'll find ways to get Tyreek Hill the ball. It doesn't really matter. You want to do this? Cool. I'm just going to motion. I'm going to do this. I'm going to give him right. a jet sweep. I'm going to I'm going to do the touch pass. I'm going to do the end around. They, they, they have everything in their arsenal, and they execute it so well. And I think you brought up the best point about this offense, and one of the primary reasons, other than its speed and its creativity, that it works, it's Tua. Tua took a lot of crap yep. for a long time because he doesn't have the biggest arm. He's one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the National Football League. He's one of the quickest and most decisive quarterbacks in the National Football League. And he has one of the quickest releases in the National Football League. And that's one of the primary reasons why this offense is clicking on all cylinders. 
he negates the impact of the offensive line. That's what the best quarterbacks do. It's what Drew Brees did. It's what Tom Brady did. It's what the best quarterbacks do. And I don't think two is one of the best quarterbacks right now, but he's certainly playing like one in this system. And I don't think it, and this is the funny thing about the NFL, Nick, because I don't think he'd work in every system, but for this specific system, mm-hmm. it works really well. And it's going to be really difficult for the giants on the other side of the ball. Nick, I was hopeful at one stage of this preview slash matchup weeks ago because of what you said. They're still trying to get themselves on the same page of what that Vic Fangio defense is trying to do. And, you know, we've seen the Giants offense, this specific group with Dable and Kafka and Jones have success against these types of defenses at Donatel, um, whoever was in Green Bay running that system last year, Joe Barry and Joe Barry. And then so that got me excited. But bringing me back down, Nick. The offensive line situation is going to be even worse than last week. Josh Azudu back at left tackle. That's not good. Left guard, who knows at this point? Probably Mark Lewinsky. Center, I guess Ben Bredesen playing through an injury that he was limping through the locker room of, but I think he's going to try to gut this out because they have literally no option at center. He's not a center. That's not good. Marcus McKethan at right guard coming off a bad game. And then Evan Neal at right tackle. With that offensive line, I'm not so sure the giant and not only that offensive line, but like they have to really change so much about what their scheme is in six days or five days. Cause they had the bye week to try to come out and show something different than they showed on Monday night. And then back again on Thursday against the 49ers, they were very similar offensive performances because even against the 49ers, they scored 10 points. The giants, the seven points came on a short field, you know, it was a bad yeah. punt and, and they didn't really do anything. Um, most of the giants production, has been just Jones scrambles since Barkley's been out. So I don't have confidence that things are going to change enough on offense. It's too short of a turnaround and the offense line is still in such a bad shape. I find it shocking. The giants are only 10 and a half point underdogs in this game to be completely honest. What do they know? Yeah. Vegas typically, <laughs> I mean, look, the jet spread is a good example of that jet spread. Like I said, nine and a half drops down to seven and a half and the jets cover. So maybe weird things will happen. And the Dolphins will just overlook the Giants. That happens it, sometimes in the NFL. It, it could be that. It could be Teron Armstead, uh, Connor Williams injury. Maybe they're really reading into that. I, I, I'm not sure. They got an interesting offensive line. They got like Liam Eikenberg as their backup I know. center. They got Isaiah Wynn playing left guard for them. They're actually looking solid. Austin Jackson is a pretty capable starter right now on film. And I was like, oh, because I remember when they drafted him, I was like, oh, like he was bad at USA. So, yeah, that's on the offense. But you're right, on the defensive side of the ball, I was hoping that those issues would persist, and they still may. And that's one of the reasons why I'm, like, drinking the Kool-Aid of Darren Waller. Oh, he'll, if Daniel Bellinger is there, he'll, he'll, get, he'll get good, you know? He'll get his targets. And I do think he'll get his targets if Bellinger is there. If Bellinger is not there, I'm not really certain what the Giants are going to do, but at least they'll be prepared to not have Daniel right. Bellinger. good point. And I'll say this about what you said about Austin Jackson. This is an interesting point that I just want to bring up. We both hated his tape at USC, and everyone described him as, okay, it's all right. He's athletic, and he can be a developmental prospect. Think of how fast he's developed versus how fast the Giants offensive linemen are developing. And that's Austin Jackson, who had bad tape in college. So just something to think about when it comes to how important the development is as far as the offensive linemen go. And I still don't know the solution to that or how the Giants can improve their development of offensive linemen. But yeah, that's something that I just wanted to bring in there. But yeah, man, we'll see what happens with this with the Giants offense. But I do agree, at least they're going to have time to prepare for it. All right, Nick, let's get to some predictions for this game. I'll let you go first. Predictions, Giants are going to lose this game to the Miami Dolphins. I believe the Dolphins right now have an implied point total of 30 points. I think they're going to drop around that. I think it's going to be like a 34 to, I want to say 17. 
but I'm putting a lot of faith in the Giants offense there. And that's going to go over, but I think that's what I'm going to roll with. Okay. I am. I was hoping that the Dolphins played the Eagles this week after the Giants. So it could be one of those games where they yes. look ahead to the Eagles, but unfortunately for the Panthers next week, and the Eagles after that. So I don't think it's going to be a look ahead game, but I do think the Dolphins, something, something weird is going to happen in this game. The Dolphins aren't going to score as many points as people think they're going to score. My issue being, I don't think the Giants are going to get to 13. I don't know if how the Giants score points in this game, unless they can get a turnover on Tua, which I don't think they're going to do. They haven't had a turnover all, all year. The defense, in my opinion, has to score some points for the Giants. I don't think it's going to happen. The ball gets out of Tua's hand so fast. So I'm going to go with 27 to, or 20, 27 to six Dolphins is what I'm going to go with for the final score. Unfortunately, look, this is where we're at. We try not to just fake scores for you guys and be like, I'm the Giants 24 to 21. <laughs> like, we're just going to call it like it is. If we think they're going to win, we think they're going to win. This is not a game. I think they're going to be competitive in sadly. Um, hopefully I'm wrong. You never know. But Nick, let's do some prize picks before we get out of here. What do you got today on prize picks? Let's go to prizepicks.com If you guys are into selecting players and you think they can get more or less on a certain yardage you want to win some cash go to prizepicks.com slash banter that is prizepicks.com promo code banter this week dan look i wanted to go back to the darren waller well i did but darren waller has burned me about three weeks in a row and at this point i don't know daniel bellinger's health we're still a little bit early in the week it's thursday right now so i left him off but if you're going to do this a little bit later in the week, Daniel Bellinger is going to play. I would take probably Daniel, or I mean, Darren Waller more on the yardage, which is about 40 something right now. But right now I'm going for Devon A-Chain more than 50 and a half rushing yards. I just think he can get that on the first play of the game. He is wildly explosive. They're going to use power gap against the Giants. You give this guy a crease, he is gone. This is Mike McDaniel's new toy. He came in. I think he played like two snaps in week two. And then in week three, he rushed for what? Over 200 yards with three touchdowns. Just absolutely insane. He is in a timeshare right now with Mostert. But Mostert fumbled twice last week. True. Could see a little bit more A-chain. I'm comfortable with that 50 and a half number. Then I'm going to go more on Wandale Robinson. 32 and a half receiving yards. His role is expanding here. You can attack the Dolphins through the slot. There's going to be space. You know Daniel Jones doesn't want to throw the ball downfield. Wandale Robinson is a quick A-dot type of target. He is athletic enough to make some some players missing space i also think there could be some touch passes which count as receiving yards so 32 and a half is a very fair number i'm going to go more there and then more on seven and a half fantasy points for jason cool. sanders so he has to hit one kick of like 40 and then then what three extra points two kicks he basically has that so i just think that's a comfortable play and i'm willing to power play this one but if you want to be a little bit more conservative you can flex it, but I'm going to power play this one, put 20 bucks in. You will win $100. And those are my prize picks. Dan, do you like those? And what are yours? I do like those prize picks, actually, specifically one that I will be using myself to start this off, Nick. That's going to be Devin A-Chain, more than 50.5 rush yards. You broke down why I think A-Chain's going to have a big game. Then I found an interesting quirk here on prize picks that I like. You can do, you can put two plays in your prize picks that are very similar. So <laughs> usually they don't allow that on some of these apps, but I'll do it. We're going to do less than 224.5 passing yards for Daniel Jones. That's a lot of yards considering the state of the offense right now. I don't really foresee it happening. It is a Fick Fangio defense, which should help him somewhat, but state of the offensive line is really bad right now. State of the offense is really bad. And then they'll allow me to also do 
less than 267.5 pass and rush yards. So it's basically the same bet. I just have to not have him rush for more than 40 yards. So those are my plays this week or more than 43 yards. Those are my plays this week. So I'm going with the power play, especially since they let, they let me get the same odds despite having two very similar plays in there, which is something you guys should probably look into, by the way. Um, and that's where I'm at, Nick. So that's that. those are my plays for the week. There we go, man. So I I, I feel more comfortable this week. I do. I didn't feel that comfortable last week. I'm, I'm prize picks, obviously, not the Giants. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was implied. Not the Giants. No, but I, I do feel a little bit more comfortable with these prize picks selections because last week I flex played it. I was a coward, and I was comfortable with being a coward to the point where I announced <laughs> it on this podcast, and then I tweeted about how I was a coward in front of the entire world of Twitter. So I'm hoping that the Giants at least pull through for us in that regard, and I left Darren Waller out. So. That probably means he's going to have success. <laughs> I hope so. All right. That's all we have today on the Big Blue Banter Podcast. Thanks for keeping it locked and loaded. We will talk to you soon. Have a good rest of your week. happening daily we're being conned by the institutions we used to trust the mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing american families time is short before something big happens and that's why so many folks are preparing they're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from my patriot supply go to mypatriotsupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com